Welcome to Tales from the Multiverse, where I, Gabe Sluice, will spin you stories from worlds parallel and beyond our own. As promised in earlier episodes, Season 2 is a lead-up to my novel I'm working on, Behold the Interstice. To give you guys an idea of what this book is going to be about, I've been reading short stories that will be related to it. And now it's come time to get to the meat and potatoes. I'll be reading the rough draft copies of the first three chapters over the next three weeks. I'm pretty sure you guys are going to like this stuff, so pay attention and enjoy. Charlie 4. An alarm roused Charlie from his sleep, but did not fully waken him. With the gravity down to 20% and the room at 5 degrees, he had no desire to get out of bed and check his cameras. He drifted back to sleep, knowing the chimes would eventually stop. He found himself sitting bolt upright on the edge of his bed. The intensity of the alarms increased. His facility had been breached. Charlie Four pulled on his boots at the edge of his bed. He punched the console on his desk, bringing the gravity back to 1.2 and the temp to 22. Brixton! He shouted to the empty room. What's going on? The main shield on Tunnel 1 has been penetrated. Backup emitters have been destroyed by weapons fire. Weapons fire? Then it wasn't just to breathe? What punched through? Charlie was in a panic. He grabbed his tool belt off a workbench and wrapped it around his thick waist as he ran out of the main room of his temporary prefab base. Charlie ducked his head as he entered the long hallway that led to his ship. A pair of small ships approached the asteroid approximately 10 minutes ago and began scanning the emplacements. Initial alarms were sounded, but you did not react. 45 seconds ago, the shield was dropped by a pulse from inside the entrance and one of the ships entered. It then proceeded to open fire on the emitters. Where are they now? He shouted, sprinting past the door to the equipment garage. A large explosion shook the ground under his feet, causing him to trip headlong. Before the giant man hit the ground, the hall went dark. Gravity evaporated. Instead of sliding to a stop, Charlie floated horizontally, off at an unexpected angle. Brixton! The main generator of the Pearl has been hit by the attackers, the virtual intelligence reported. The backup is coming online now. Light returned to the hall, much dimmer than it had been moments before. Charlie reached out with his arms to steady himself as gravity returned, drawing his large body down to the floor. An ear-splitting grinding sound reverberated through the mining facility, followed by the acrid smell of burning metal. What are they doing to my ship? The miner cried, climbing back to his feet. Plasma torches are burning the outer skin. I believe they are going after the contents of the cargo hold. The ship has just deployed two armed individuals. They are entering the hole they have just bowled. They're going after my paydirt! Activate the ship's shields! Do something! Charlie shouted, arriving at the door to the grounded ship. The ship's power is offline, Brixton reported back. Furthermore, the hole has been breached and devoid of atmosphere. Charlie turned and sprinted back to the door to the equipment garage. He slapped the door control and grabbed his extra-large void suit from its place on the wall. Reverse the gravity on the ship! Slow them down until I can get there! The attackers are armed, Charlie fool. You have no weapons in this facility. Without those elements in the hold, I'll be totally broke. I can't let them rob me of an entire year's worth of work. Another small explosion rocked the facility as Charlie finished hastily putting on his bronze-colored void suit. The sense of urgency redoubled itself as he clicked his gloves into place and took off back to the door to his damaged ship. 
What's going on in there? Charlie puffed as he slapped the door control once again. The attackers have taken a total of eight crates to their ship. The reverse of gravity slowed them for a moment, but they have adapted. Be aware that if this door is open without proper pressurization, there will be a violent escape of atmosphere from the hallway, pulling you into the ship. Got it, Charlie said, pulling an anchor gun from his tool belt and blasting a hard point into the floor of his station. He attached a mining safety line between it and his suit, and he gave his next command to Brixton. Put the gravity back to standard two seconds after the door is opened. The giant man, suited and anchored to the floor, used his muscular frame to brace for the depressurization. The door to the ship shot open instantaneously. Charlie withstood the force with relative ease as he unclipped the line and dodged into the ship. Soundless threads of faint light caught Charlie's attention out of the corner of his eye as he took cover behind the bulkhead. Quick glances towards the hold from random shifting points completed his view of what was happening to his ship. A perfect, round hole, several meters in diameter, had been cut through the ship in front of the door to the cargo hold. A suited figure stood security outside the wreck door, and another of the raiders was taking crates of mined minerals up a line to their waiting ship. Charlie cursed at the intruders inside his suit, heard by no one except Brixton. Can you open a universal line to them? I have been transmitting since their entrance into the asteroid, but they have declined to answer. Is there nothing else I can do? Charlie said out loud, pulling his head back from another glance. He rested his head against the wall, lost in frustration. Do you know if they took my grains of tropolite? The heavy metals and palladium I could lose, but the tropolite is worth more than everything else back there. The contents of the hold are unknown to... Brixton said, cutting himself off. Both intruders are retreating back to the ship. Charlie jumped to action. He darted around the bulkhead, sprinting for the open hole in his ship. Looking through the puncture, he caught sight of two suited figures being pulled inside a belly hatch as their ship repositioned itself to exit the asteroid's internal cavern. The giant stood helpless in his ravaged ship, looking up at the raider's craft. As the belly door slid closed, one of the figures leveled a pistol at their victim. The second pushed the barrel away from its target and gave a friendly wave to Charlie as the door sealed. The ship slid away, leaving Charlie alone once again. Hunkered down in the pilot's chair, Charlie Ford leaned against the armrest, hand covering half his face. In his other hand was an ancient data pad that was powered by a rigged up power pack not meant for the device. Charlie studied the schematics for the ship, written in a half-understood language. He drew out a pocket-mounted translator and read the foreign words aloud, their meaning spoken back to a jack in his left ear. He worked line by line. Deep in concentration, a chime from Brixton interrupted his trance. Sir, a ship is approaching and hailing. I identified the vessel as Ocalit. Shall I disable the defense turret? That's fine, Charlie said, putting the pad down and rubbing his eyes. Send a message to Shang and tell him it's fine to come in. Not like there's anything to stop anyone anyway. Charlie moved his considerable mass with the additional weight on his mind. He exited the ship and was back into the prefab base. As he trudged over to the work garage, the distinct sound of a maneuvering ship passed overhead. The giant stood over by the airlock, listening to the sharp sound of the ship blasting an anchor line into the rock outside of the garage. 
Presently, the airlock began to cycle, pinging as gas filled into the chamber. Four! We came over as soon as we heard, the fat man grumbled, waddling in his pressure suit. Shang Feem was a typical example of a lifelong asteroid miner. He had considerable bulk, a white unkempt beard over chubby cheeks, and wild hair. Behind him strode a mechanical skeleton, holding the suited body of a young man not blessed with arms or legs. The black bones of the encompassing prosthetic made the son of Shang nearly the same size as Charlie. Rider theme had always been hard for Charlie to read. He had heard the boy speak no more than a few times, and did not expect him to on this occasion. Ryder stood passively off to one side, not engaging in the exchange. The mechanical boy, a cleft lip and hair covering one eye, looked over Charlie's equipment with little interest. Did they make any demands before they broke in? You should have given them what they wanted, Shang scolded the younger man. They didn't say a word before they took down my main shield and started blasting. Smash and grab, Shang confirmed. A sensor buoy out at F-134 showed them jumping into the system out there. They must have hit you on chance, or the fact that you got one of the biggest claims in this region. Charlie nodded. Did you see what they did to the Pearl? That's a damn poor thing to do to a ship. I'm sorry, son. It was my great-grandfather's. He used it in the Crusades. I've been looking over the documents he had on it. I just don't know if I can repair that hole properly without taking months. And if I'm absorbed with working on the ship, there's no money coming in. That's an unforgivable thing to do to a ship, Shang nodded, pacing around the mining equipment absently. Ships are the life of men such as us. Without our ships, we are just as well off as any common man stuck on a planet. To sink a ship, one as beautiful and old as that pearl of the world, is akin to murder. You can shoot a man, and he can heal. Shoot a ship and rob a man of his means to repair her? Yeah, they cleaned out my hold. I finally had a good setup here. Things were finally getting comfortable and profitable. I had enough to put up shields, pay off the prefab, and install that intelligence to manage things. Now this place is all shot up and I have nothing to put it back together. Cheng threw a hand against Charlie's shoulder. I've had setbacks myself. You just gotta keep going. I know you first-generation miners come out here thinking, you'll work the rocks for a couple rotations. Strike it rich and retire to some paradise on Balius. But grains of tropolite are not as numerous as the stories miners tell. It's a life's work. Few strike it rich finding a nugget larger than my thumb. I still have hope, Charlie said. But without a ship, I have no chance of finding another grain. It'd probably take half a nugget to repair that old thing anyway. Take a week to cool off. Don't think about it. Get back out in your tunnels. Nothing clears the mind like carving through a conglomerate. Get yourself some stock, and I'll come by in ten days. I'm close to needing a run to the Imba station. I'd be happy to give you a lift to sell what you can and pick up some material. Ryder's decent with ships. He doesn't have much experience with jump ships. We've only ever run on Starlock skiffs, but he's smart, aren't you, Ryder? The sullen boy nodded without looking at his father. No, I'm not for putting you out. I can get her patched somehow and make a run in. You are taking my help, boy. You are not putting us out when we plan to trip in soon anyhow. Don't be stubborn on this. I know how us miners hate to depend on others, but that's how it is this time. I appreciate it, Shang, Charlie Four said. I can scrounge up something in ten days. 
I need to repair the entrance shield if I can. I can put up a defense turret, but it's not the same. I'll give you a call in nine days and coordinate a pickup. Do that, Shang said, slapping Charlie on the arm. He motioned for his son, and the odd pair left the cluttered garage. Charlie stood still for a moment as he heard the visiting ship cycle up its engines and leave the tunnel containing his base. Where to start, he thought to himself, still wallowing in all the defeat. Eventually he moved, not out of force of will, but unexpectedly, for no reason at all. There was work to do, recovery progress to be made. He had to be thrust to his rope's end, no choice left but to move up his hand and begin to climb, ignoring the fact that the rope was on fire. Asteroids in the Corrin system generally fell into three locational categories. There was the scattered rocky debris which made up the belt of Corrin, situated between Yami, the second planet in the system, and Imba Major, the third planet, a gas giant. The asteroids in the belt were numerous, and just as rich in precious minerals and common minerals as in any other place, but these were spread out and distant from any cluster of humanity. Logically, the belt was difficult to mine, as processing stations were only available by long-distance transport, and then only when the rotation of one of the worlds coincided with the asteroid. This is not to say that attempts were not made whether by souls agreeable to a hermit lifestyle, or to investors attempting to slowly move perspective ore into a better location over time. The second two locations were in Lagrange points, pockets of intersecting gravitational influence created by the gas giant and its distant star. These pockets, preceding and following Imba Major over a vast span of time, had picked up loose or wandering bodies of mass. The asteroid clusters found here were a much more practical location to prospect. Imba Minor, the second largest moon of the gas giant, was a water world. The rocky cord satellite harbored its own complex flora and fauna prior to human discovery. Its ecosystem was kept warm by its host rather than by the dim light emanating from the distant center of the system. Charlie IV had chosen a large asteroid in the L5 point. It was the sparsest populated cluster of asteroid miners within the Imba mini-system. The rock he called home was nearly circular, but for two large portions, which appeared to have been lopped off, like an orange sliced at with a katana. A main tunnel had been drilled into the center of the metallic rock by a previous attempt by some unlucky soul. Charlie had found the abandoned claim a perfect place for him to start, and had expanded the tunnel substantially in the three rotations he had resided in the Yami system. Four secondary mining tunnels had split off from the main in directions calculated by scan-aided capabilities. Sea Tunnel, Charlie's favorite tunnel, had been chasing a vein of palladium for the last rotation, giving him a steady supply of income. This palladium had been his baseline, covering operational costs, and now, six days after the raid, he had found himself focusing the most on Sea Tunnel, removing the tillings that the automated drilling probe produced. He was on such a removal trip, bringing a mining cart full of non-valuable asteroid rock out to the surface where he would fuse the tillings into a solid, when Brixton interrupted his in-helmet music. Sir, a tunnel probe is reporting an air. Charlie cursed. Why is it always that probe having problems? That is the one we swapped out of D a couple weeks back, right? Yes, there were several problems with that probe while it mined D tunnel. You moved it to A to confirm that it was a mechanical issue, rather than the tunnel itself, the virtual intelligence reported back. 
Charlie grabbed a magnetic anchor off the cart, slapping it against the tunnel surface, harder than necessary. The cart bounced gently on its tether in the limited gravity environment. The big miner kicked out with his magnetic boots, denting the cart and bouncing it in an erratic direction. Charlie found himself disgusted by his outburst, grimaced at the pointless damage his unexpected rage had caused. Brixton, Charlie said, finally getting a hold of himself. Shut down the probe. I will clear the blockage and do the rest myself. The VI acknowledged his request, and Charlie took off in the direction of A-Tunnel, opting to use his wrist thrusters to propel himself through the interior of the asteroid rather than by magnetic boot, which reacted to his steps. The wrist thrusters burned up valuable fuel compared to hoofing it, but at this point in his frustrated trial, Charlie was through caring about economy. As he rocketed through the maze of sparsely lit tunnels, Charlie noticed how hungry he felt. He was past the point he regularly would have gone on a trading and supply run into the station orbiting Inba Minor. He was down to the very last supplies in his pantries. The package of beans he had eaten at his first meal were meant as an additive to a full meal, rather than as a primary course. Now all he had left were random things that he had bought and never gotten around to using. If I don't find a grain or strike into another vein in the next couple days, this trip to the station with Shang will be nothing more than a food run, Charlie said to himself. Brixton, not fully sensitive to the redundant qualities in human speech patterns, especially under stressful conditions, spoke up. I can shut off all drill probes and conduct a detection scan ahead of regularly scheduled death marks, the intelligence suggested. No, Charlie said curtly. I'm just now reaching A-Tunnel. What can you tell me about the error message the probe reported this time? The miner killed his wrist thrusters as he ran his hands along the smooth walls of the circular tunnel and pushed himself deeper with the tips of his magnetic boots. For some, the narrow confines of a tunnel, not much larger than one's body, could cause claustrophobia. Compounding upon this fact could also be the knowledge in the back of one's mind that you were in the middle of a mountain floating independently in space, half a billion kilometers from the nearest world. Sometimes, Charlie thought, he must be stupid to be free of any apprehension as he drifted down these tunnels. But for the most part, he didn't think much about it, which seemed to be best. Plus, he had much more important concerns at the moment, and no space for pursuing fruitless mind exercises. Curving slightly to the left, Charlie approached the deepest point in the tunnel. As he came upon the slender drilling probe, he noticed the mining laser was firing off sporadically and with individual streams, rather than with the multiple rotating beams of drilling mode. I thought I asked for this to be shut down, Charlie shouted to Brixton. The command was sent, but the acknowledgement was retained, Brixton reported. The only explanation I can find in the specifications for this equipment is a rare case mentioned in separate sections of the troubleshooting manuals. While Brixton explained this, Charlie grabbed onto the probe and removed the power cell, disabling the dangerous discharge from the business end of the probe. As he pulled the probe away from the area it was mining, looking the troublesome machine over, Brixton continued, There seems to be a possibility in the programming that between the time I sent the command for shutdown and the sequence being fully executed, a grain of tropolite was found. This would have attempted to override the shutdown command. No trope here, 
Charlie reported, looking into the holding container of an interior hatch on the side of the probe. All I have is a kilo or so of iron filaments. This follows with the rare case mentioned passingly in the manual, Brixton said. The probe should have stored the grain and then shut down. Since you found it had not shut down, it stands the possibility that the probe was unable to extract the tropolite after a reasonable duration, causing the non-standard behavior you reported. Not enough time to extract the trope? Charlie said to himself. He flashed his headlamp up at the mining location and began to brush away some of the loose material which hovered over the hole. With the first brush, a glimmer of white reflected back into his eyes. And there it lay. Charlie's blood ran cold as he exposed the nugget of tropolite buried into the black rock of the asteroid. With trimmering hands, he reached into his tool bag and drew out a laser torch and began cutting around the white nugget. Ignoring words coming through his helmet speakers from Brixton, the rock ring being cut out around the tropolite continued to grow. With every expanding pass of cutting around the fist of precious metal, Charlie had to force himself to breathe. After an hour, or a day, or a minute of cutting, hot slag flying around in front of his face shield, Charlie pulled the fist of tropolite from the depths of the asteroid. Holding the fist in one hand, eyes glued to the unimaginable wealth he held, the big miner pushed his way out of a tunnel, leaving the mining probe deactivated and unrepaired. Entering into the main tunnel, he threw back his head and howled. Alright, that's it. That's the first chapter from my novel I'm working on, Behold the Interstice. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope you guys come back next week. I'm going to start reading some more. I'm really excited about this. It's a lot of fun uh, trying out this new stuff and um, reading out my rough drafts. So come back next week, and in the meantime, find any of my other works, as I always say, on Smashwords, Barnes Noble, iTunes, anywhere you get ebooks. Find me on Twitter, I'm at Gabe Sluice, and we can hang out. See you guys next week. <laughs>